Ho, 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 and welcome back to another episode of The Break. This is the last one before Christmas. It's just around the corner. I can't believe how fast time has gone. I mean, just a few weeks ago, it was summertime, right? And now it's freezing and kids are skating and Santa is just around the corner. And so is little baby Jesus. <laughs> this episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons and thanks to their monthly support. I can keep all this available for everyone and free of advertisements. And I need your help to keep doing that also in 2023. So if you are able to support me in my mission, if you like what I do and you want to help me to continue it, I only live on on Patreon donations. Um, so, and I can still use uh, a few more um, patrons and maybe if you have some, some leftover uh, financial residue and you don't know what to do with it, well, I can certainly use some extra help. Uh, go over to patreon.com slash fatheroderick and thanks to all of you that are already supporting me and thanks to a few of the, you that have recently upped their monthly uh, donation amount. I, I really appreciate it. Again, I couldn't do this without you. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. We've had very, very cold, wintry temperatures. Very appropriate for this time of the year, but pretty uncommon for the Netherlands. Usually the month of December is, is more wet then it is snowy, but we had some snow and we have a lot of ice right now. Well, maybe not right now because I'm recording this in the evening. But earlier today, almost all the kids in the Netherlands were ice skating. They were on the ice. This is a big thing in the Netherlands. Every kid learns how to skate. Um, but unfortunately, in the last few, let's say three, four years, we have had barely any ice that was thick enough to skate upon and so to our great surprise December turned out to be much colder than usual and so today and yesterday uh, lots and lots of people were skating and we're talking about you know maybe a million people <laughs> went out to skate on uh, in, in various places there are also like uh, farmers that will um, use part of their meadows where normally you would have cows and they'll just uh, drench drench them with water so it can freeze overnight, and then the next day you have like a huge skating rink available for people. Um, so I think a lot of kids were super happy that they were finally on the ice again. Um, so I was I was heading for church. I had to serve mass in uh, the most remote location in this parish, uh, which is in total it's a twenty five kilometers on on bike. And I left this morning pretty early, so it's around 12, 13 kilometers uh, on the way to church. I had mass there and then biked back. And on my way back, I was going through the countryside, and it was so cool to see that almost near every farm there would be these ponds where, where kids were skating. It, it, it just feels like winter all of a sudden. Um, and and I... I uh, well, next week it's going to be um, over, so temperatures are going to rise again, which is maybe not so good f if you are nostalgic about a very cold, wintry Christmas. But I would say for to to save on the gas, which currently is super expensive in the Netherlands, it's uh, 
I'm, I'm very happy that the temperatures are going up again. It's super cold in this house as well, as I'm not heating most of the house. I moved my desk, my equipment uh, downstairs, and so I'm actually living in the living room, which is kind of what the name implies, right? You live in the living room. So the only other place in the house where I am <laughs> during the day is is my bedroom, and I usually don't war- don't heat the bedroom. So I, I turn up the heat a little bit before I right before I go to bed, uh, because otherwise I get such cold feet. Uh, but then uh, the moment I I turn off the light, I also turn off the heating, and um, so it gets pretty cold there. Or like this morning when I woke up, it was eight degrees Celsius in my <laughs> bedroom. But it's so funny that I actually sleep a lot better now that it's super cold in my bedroom. The hallway is also extremely cold. It's like eight, nine degrees. That's, that's doesn't get any warmer. Uh, but this living room is nice and toasty. And so I've got my desk. For those of you that are watching the stream right now, you, you, you can see what it looks like. Uh, and I'm sitting in my hobbit corner. So behind me is, um, is the, the hearth, uh, the fireplace. I've got, um, some lights here. Um, there's a, a candle. I've got my little dragon that John Domic actually gifted me last year. Was it last year? Time flies, and it's, it it says has an inscription. So it is is a little miniature dragon. This one, a uh, little brown dragon, and then he's sitting on a rock. And there's an inscription on the rock that says, "Home is where your dragon is." Right? Let me take a look. Yeah, home is where my dragon is. So. Dragon base, I love it. Um, and this is this is my I call this my Hobbit corner because I always wanted to have a little corner somewhere in my house where it would feel a bit like Bilbo Baggins Shire uh, dwelling uh, with a fireplace. And normally I have a rocking chair, but since I moved my podcast equipment here, um, I, re- I I moved a rocking chair out of the way. But this is this is where I love to read my books. And I, I read a ton of books. Um, I'm almost done with my uh, reading challenge. So I still have about three books to read, I think. Um, and I will review some of the books that I read this past week um, later on in this show. But let's first talk about movies and TV shows. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. All right. So what's going on with the DC universe right now? It's such a mess ever since Warner and HBO and is it Discovery? They all blended together in this new global entity. They started to make so many changes. The, the most noticeable were actually with HBO Max, which has just launched in the Netherlands. And, and, and even though I already have a lot of subscriptions to other platforms like Netflix and Disney+, Plus. This too, for me, was almost inevitable uh, to... I I needed to get a subscription because of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, of course. But also Warner, which is part of HBO Max, um, has all all the Harry Potter stuff on there. And, well, Harry Potter is also one of the big franchises that I want to keep an eye on. And so I just subscribed uh, to HBO Max. And then they started with these announcements that 
well, actually, we're going to take away a lot of the shows that you that were part of the reason that I subscribed to HBO Max. So they're going to rename it. Apparently, it's going to be called Max next year. I don't think they worked out old because that's obviously a, a, a very common name. So I guess with trademarks and stuff, they will probably have to pay some people a lot of money. Um, and it's not even certain that the stuff that is right now on HBO Max will be there next year when they make the changes. One of the things that they're going to remove, or maybe they're already removing it, is Westworld, which I have not seen except for the first season, which I thought was amazing. I'm a huge fan of the whole concept. Of course, it's based on the original movie Westworld, which is about um, basically a, like a theme park for adults where you can do anything you want. Um, and because everyone that you, for so you can live out your fantasy, you can live in this Western world, and so you've got cowboys and Indians, and it's all kind of the the classic tropes of uh, the old Western movies. But in 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 this theme park, this futuristic theme park, all the all the all the cowboys are are robots. They're draw androids, and so. You can shoot them, and then they will be repaired during the night, and uh, everything resets the next day. Um, and it turns uh, it's it's like a like a parable in a certain way. it's it's a warning against our consumerist mentality and the cruelty of of humans when there are no consequences to to your actions. and 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 the whole place turns into hell, basically. It's horrible, um, which I think you know, I've got some some thoughts about that because i think that's what happens if there are no consequences for your actions look if if there were if there weren't any judges if there were no prisons if there were no no rules and regulations to abide to and and consequences if you don't then our societies would would turn into complete chaos and mayhem <laughs> as a side as an aside i think this is actually one of the big risks for twitter and and the way things are going because Elon Musk is uh, is a, a free speech absolutist. That's what he calls himself. But so he he got rid of a lot of the rules, um, and then he he instituted a, a couple of new ones. But he is also making the rules himself. But it's very arbitrary. If there's something he doesn't like, then he just comes up with a new rule, and so it becomes this really unpredictable uh, environment. Um, and, and, well, the results are not good, at least from what I can perceive. Uh, it, it feels like a lot of people are, are, are misbehaving much, much worse than they were. Uh, and, and Twitter has always been a bit of a, a nasty place where, where there's a lot of uh, hatred going on. And um, it's, it's, it's never been a very positive environment, in, in, well, at least in my experience. So uh, rules and regulations are necessary to protect the good. And so in Westworld, um, uh, you see what happens if, if you don't have rules or consequences. And then what's so cool about the story is that the androids become sentient. They become self-aware and they start playing the game and, and, and making new rules, which has tremendous consequences for for the humans that were paying a lot of money to be in that world without consequences. And so all of a sudden, there's a reckoning, and they become the hunted instead of the hunters. Um, so they did four seasons. The first season I thought was really good, gruesome, 
sometimes hard to watch, but also, um, I think, very masterfully done. Um, second season, I've just started to... I had just started to watch the second season. Um, first episode, so it's, I, I can't say much about that. Apparently, the second and the third season were not that good, and then the fourth season was a return to form. But now, before they are able to wrap up the entire story, um, they've announced that not only is the show cancelled, but they're going to take it off HBO Max, and they want to put it on some free free channel, ad-supported free channel, something like what Hulu is doing in the United States. So this is kind of the same thing that, um, that Paramount did with Star Trek, where every European Star, Star Trek fan was watching Discovery on, on uh, Netflix, because Netflix had the rights to Discovery. And then, like a few days before the new season would start, they all of a sudden pulled it off Netflix, and then we couldn't watch it because Paramount was not available here in this part of the of the world. And so it took them more than a year to finally get their act together, and they launched uh, Sky, Sky Plus, which is a combination of a number of streamer streaming services, among which Paramount. And now we can still not watch Discovery, because they only have Strange New Worlds. It's, it's just a mess. And now Warner is doing the same thing with HBO. I've got a bad feeling about this, and it's frustrating because I, I want to see how it ends, and I, I want stories, especially big, high-profile series like Westworld. I want the creators to have the opportunity to wrap up the story, and otherwise you get all these loose ends, and well, our 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 modern uh, uh, networks are full of these these unfinished masterpieces. And it's just because, well, you know what, didn't get enough traction in the first uh, few months, and so we just pulled it and we canceled it. And I, gosh, I really hope that these channels will stop doing this. Um, so, so let's talk about the consequences of all these changes for the DC universe. As you know, I'm, I grew up with Superman. Superman was my first superhero. We didn't have uh, Marvel in the Netherlands when I was young. Um, I, I vaguely remember Spider-Man, but it was a fringe thing. We couldn't get any comics. So the comics that I used to buy from my uh, weekly allowance, they were all either like European um, comic books or Superman. I loved to read Superman stories. So I would buy just a few issues because I, I didn't have much money to spend. <laughs> only a few, like 50 cents per week. I think that was my weekly allowance. So I would save up and I would buy one... Um, uh, one issue or one one how do you call that one um, uh, part and of course <clears throat> in all these American superhero uh, comic book series these stories went on and on and on and so every week you were supposed to buy uh, the next part of the story but of course I I didn't have money for that so I remember that I had a few a few uh, partial stories with Superman and then I would continue to draw the adventures myself. So I would continue, because I loved uh, drawing. And so uh, since I didn't have money to, to buy the, the real thing, I would just make my own Superman stories. And I, I had this like very thin paper that I would put on top of the, uh, the original comic and I would just draw over it. And because, of course, you know, it's pretty complicated stuff to draw for a kid. But I was so eager to 
live in that universe where a simple journalist could actually turn into Superman in a few seconds and save the world. I wanted to be Superman as well. I would love to, at, at that time, I, I, I thought one of the coolest things to be able to do was to be able to fly like Superman. And so um, for me, Superman has always been very special. Uh, I loved, obviously, like the first Superman um, with, uh, with Reeves uh, playing Superman. Um, and then, well, the sequels were kind of diminishing returns. Um, and then for a whole lot of years, we didn't get any Superman anymore. Um, and then the superhero genre started to become popular thanks to Marvel. And I started to really enjoy the Marvel Universe, but I was super late to the game. I was in seminary when that all started. And I remember seeing the first ad for the X-Men, the first X-Men movie, um, on, a, on a railway station. Um, and, and I was like, oh, so we get superhero movies now? I was so excited. And then, of course, well, the rest is history. And then DC also started to see the, <laughs> well, the advantages of, 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 um, of building on their catalog to do something like what Marvel was doing. Um, and probably they were thinking, doing what Marvel does, making a lot of money with our superheroes. And so we saw the return of Superman, and we got a few, like, standalone movies. And then, of course, everything with Batman started to really uh, strike a chord with the fans. And the Batman movies were dark, very different from anything we'd seen in the Superman stories. But it was very appropriate at the time. I think people really latched on to that kind of more serious tone, especially because it was a big contrast with, with, with what Marvel was doing uh, with their DCU, uh, not DCU, at their Marvel Universe, the MCU, um, which most of the time struck a lighter tone, there was more humor in it. Uh, it was also a bit more popcorning. Popcorn, popcorny. That sounds wrong. <laughs> it's more like popcorn movies. Whereas with with Batman, uh, they really went dark, um, especially because the the the, uh, the the previous Batman. There were like four Batman movies. Um, they were so goofy and weird, uh, especially the last one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. But then the the new Batman. Um, the Dark Knight series, it, it was all of a sudden like, wow, this this is something we've never seen before. And so there are a lot of people, a lot of um, uh, DC fans that loved how that universe started to expand and how different it was from what Marvel was doing. And so uh, we got a lot of movies with Batman and then later on they brought back, of course, Man of Steel and then Batman versus Superman and then Wonder Woman all surprised everyone. And the first movie was excellent. And then, you know, is is this that is this finally coming together? Are we gonna get this this consistent universe? It felt like and then Aquaman was a huge hit. I didn't particularly care for that movie, but it, it did very well at the box office. And then of course they got the Justice League, and that Justice League movie just again didn't really work that well. There was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And then ultimately, just last year, we got the, the Schneider cut, which was the original vision of, of the Justice League movie, um, almost completely redone and re-edited um, by uh, Schneider. And, and then people were hoping that that would be the beginning of the, like the, 
the Schneider verse that, that 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 Warner would continue in in that direction, and that's where the changes started to affect the, the plans. So just a few weeks ago, um, I was shocked to learn that Henry Cavill had bowed out of The Witcher. He had already finished filming the upcoming season three of The Witcher, which is a I think a great great television series based on the original uh witcher novels and also the video games um and henry cavill i think was so good in that role i i think he nailed it um and i just couldn't imagine anyone else playing playing the witcher um and then all of a sudden henry cavill was like yeah i'm out someone else is going to play the witcher in season four i was like why? Why would you do that? It's so successful. It's really your thing. You made that series a success because uh, Henry Cavill himself is a huge fan of The Witcher. And so he played it with, I think, it's it's just one, it's like Viggo Mortensen playing uh, Aragorn. You cannot imagine someone else taking on that role. Viggo is Aragorn. And in the same way for me, at least, Cavill was The Witcher. And I say was because then... Uh, a, a few, was it a few days or, or a, just a, a very short time afterwards, he said, well, this is, this is what's going to happen next for me. I'm going to be back as Superman. And then I was like, wow, that is so, I'm so happy. Finally, Superman is going to return to the big screen. And I was like, why? Why do we get all these spin-off television series like Superman and, uh, and Lois? which I tried to watch, and I was like, oh, no, don't do this. Don't, don't do these, these cheap television series. Uh, Superman is, is the, one of the biggest superheroes in comic book history. He deserves theatrical releases. And so I was like, okay, Cavill is back on board. They must have a plan. It's all coming together. And Henry Cavill himself was super excited about this because he, he too, had been... You remember the whole bruja about his appearance in um, in in Justice League, with the the horrible CGI because well, the the whole mustache drama. Um, so, <laughs> and and Justice League itself before the Snyderverse first came out wasn't a, a wasn't a very satisfying movie, and so I, I guess that that left a bit of a bad aftertaste for Henry Cavill. So he was super elated that um, the studio actually told him to announce that he would be back as Superman. He had a cameo um, at the end of, um, uh, what's that movie, Black Knight with Dwayne Johnson? I forgot the name. I haven't watched it yet, Black something. Um, I saw it was actually, uh, it was up on on HBO Max uh, yesterday evening when I checked. Um, So... He had a, so Henry Cavill appeared as Superman at the end of that movie. And so I was like, okay, that, it's clear what's going to happen. Good times ahead. And then just last week, we got the announcement by James Gunn, who I knew was involved. They hired, James Gunn is, is I think, uh, a fantastic um, director and especially writer. He, he is the guy behind the Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is what it is because of James Gunn. Um, and so he was working on Marvel projects, and then uh, he got um, 
contracted by um, by Warner to do to help them build uh, the DC universe. And so, like everyone else, I was expecting them to build upon what they had already done with the Schneiderverse. And then James Gunn told every one of us that no, we're not going to continue with Henry Cavill. We're not going to continue with the Schneiderverse. In fact, yeah, Superman is my next big project and it's going to be a theatrical movie, but it will be a younger Superman. We're going to go back in time to the early days of Superman when he's uh, working... He's in his first years at the what is it? Uh, not the Daily Bugle, but uh, <laughs> whatever newspaper uh, Superman is where Clark Kent works for. And so we're going to recast the role. And then they had a face-to-face meeting with Henry Cavill, and then afterwards, Henry Cavill himself had to announce that yeah, he's out. And they yeah, as as always in kind of these official statements. Um, they say, and we have been exploring other projects for me to be involved in, but it's not going to be Superman. And I don't think it's going to be anything substantial. It's just a thing that they say to keep face. But, to, but it's, it's uh, for, for everyone who liked the Schneiderverse and what they did with The Dark Knight and with uh, Man of Steel and the Justice League, um, it's not going to happen. And then... Patty Jenkins, who was already at work um, for uh, uh, working on um, on Wonder Woman three, which, according to the rumors, was actually one of the reasons that her Rogue Squadron Star Wars movie was shelved and and no longer in in uh, development in active development. Um, she also. Uh, got the word that Wonder Woman 3 is not going to happen. Which, you know, based on based on the the lackluster um, box office uh, results of Wonder Woman 2 is probably a smart thing to do. Because it, it wasn't a good movie. I, I mean, I liked it, but it was long and it, it, it just it didn't work. A lot of the stuff that they tried didn't work for me. Uh, I have to say for me. But so I'm, I'm not that sad that we won't get to see another Wonder Woman movie. Um, but you can imagine that a lot of DC fans are, are, uh, are mad now. and uh, Because we know what we have. And we know that at least some of these movies were really good. We don't know what we're going to get. The only thing that I like about the idea that James Gunn is involved is that I think that James Gunn is a is a very very good screenwriter, and he know and he loves the DC universe, and he has hinted at um, some I like the a few of the most the most classic comic book incarnations of um, of of the DC superhero world. Um, so it seems to imply that he wants to ins- be inspired by the like the the stories of the golden age of the DC superheroes. So I think it's mostly stuff that is that appeared uh, was published around the year 2000 and like the years after that. Um so but those stories were very different from the Schneiderverse. It's m- not as dark. It's serious. Um, but it's uh, so it's it's definitely not the Marvel type of story, but it's 
it's more colorful, I have to say, compared to um, what they did with the, the Dark Knight. So that gives me hope. And I'm thinking recasting, uh, if they are going to reboot, to do a reboot, then yeah, please recast. Get us some new talents, some younger actors, because that's, I think, one of the flaws of the Marvel Universe is that they they just kept on and on and on bringing back the same actors over and over again. And at one point, it felt a bit redundant and these movies start to look the same. And it felt like every other new character that they introduced just didn't get to the same, didn't get the same exposure as the original, you know, people of uh, the, the original superheroes like Iron Man and Black Widow and... Uh, the Hulk and stuff. So um, hopefully James Gunn can do a, like a fresh reboot, uh, bring back some some of that levity. If you want to do something different from the Schneiderverse, then by all means bring back the humor um, and and the colors. <laughs> I, I love the DC universe because of it, because of its colors. A lot of these Batman movies were almost black and white at one point. So, um, but I also I want smart adult stories. And, and not just popcorn stuff. So I, 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 I'm, I'm careful. How do you say that? I'm, I'm carefully optimistic about what. Uh, but it's mostly because what of what James Gunn did with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but I can imagine this is a big disappointment for DC fans. Anyway. Um, it doesn't mean that the Snyderverse, by the way, is not completely gone, because also in the DC Universe, they have this multiverse. So they can always maintain that, well, you know, none of that is gone. It's just in a different version of the universe, which yeah, seems to be all the rage right now. Let's hope they never do that with Star Wars. I don't want a multiverse in Star Wars. But the future of Star Wars is also uh, a big question mark. Where do they go after Andor? Because Andor has been both a disappointment for, for Lucasfilm and Disney and a blessing and a huge success. Let me explain. So, Andor, if you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it, but you have to go watch it because it's unique. We have never had a series and a story like Andor. It, um, it's masterfully written. It is brilliantly acted. And it has a very different tone of voice than anything else in Star Wars. It brings Star Wars to the next level and really tries to tell an adult story. It shows how much you can do with a, a, an established uh, multi-billion dollar merchandise or franchise. And, and not merchandise, because they're, uh, <laughs> Andor is just one of those rare Star Wars incarnations that doesn't lend itself very well to the toy industry. Uh, so we don't, didn't get a lot of, of Andor merch, but we got a fantastic story. And even though, and this is the disappointment for Disney and for Lucasfilm, and even maybe also for, for uh, Gilroy, uh, who wrote and directed a part of Andor, it didn't get numbers. So it, it was not the big uh, uh, success on Disney+. Plus. Um, it didn't generate new subscriptions. Um, and so, and of course, we never get to see the real numbers because Disney doesn't doesn't share that information. But um, Tony Gilroy himself has said in in, um, in an interview 
that it surprised him. He thought it was going to be the other way around. He thought that it would get this massive instant audience on Disney+, Plus because all the other television series based on the Star Wars uh, universe had been super successful and brought in huge numbers. Um, but then he was like, yeah, and then it, it probably will have a very hard time reaching anyone else who's not already into Star Wars. Whereas that's actually where he comes from. He's not, he wasn't a Star Wars fan. He didn't know Star Wars very well. So he wanted to do something with Star Wars that would appeal to a much broader audience than just Star Wars fans. And, and so he, but he expected that to be an uphill battle. And he said, the thing that surprised everyone, including Disney, is that it was the total opposite. It didn't get big numbers, but it got massive critical acclaim. It was such a success with people who would never touch Star Wars, even with a stick, would never get anywhere close. But through word of mouth, more and more people are starting to watch and appreciate Andor. And then maybe as a gateway drug that would actually introduce them also to the genius of the whole Star Wars galaxy and the storytelling um, that Star Wars represents. But uh, the question, of course, is, is this enough for Disney? Because Disney is a company that wants to make money. And so uh, are they going to continue to explore what's possible to do in, in, what, in, in the same vein of what Tony Gilroy did? And I think Tony Gilroy made Star Wars believable to a lot of non-Star Wars fans and gave me, as, a, as an old Star Wars fan, a lot of reason to be proud of this universe and proud of the storytelling um but if it's not a commercial success is this something that disney wants to continue doing we will get of course a second season but will they ever give another director this chance to do something completely different i do hope so i hope they will do this because i think it is in the long run very good for star wars if they could just keep doing what they already do like another Mandalorian season. Uh, the Bad Batch, of course, is going to be back next year. Um, we'll get some... Uh, maybe there will be another Obi-Wan season. We haven't heard about it, but and Taika Waititi is developing a Star Wars movie. Um, apparently, um, there's another... Like, the next Star Wars movie is, is still this big mystery because um, nobody knows what it's going to be about. And then Patty Jenkins, apparently, is back also with her Rogue Squadron. I guess that now that Wonder Woman 3 has been shelved, she can now refocus on Rogue Squadron. So all of a sudden, after almost a year hearing anything about Rogue Squadron, all of a sudden, Patty Jenkins is saying in interviews like, oh yeah, but no, that was never cancelled. Actually, I'm still actively working on this. As if that is just a spur-of-the-moment thing that she said in an interview. Of course not. This is all tightly controlled by Disney. So it's a clear signal that Disney wants to move on with Patty Jenkins and with Rogue Squadron. But will they, will they allow someone like Tony Gilroy to do more in the Star Wars universe? I am really hoping that they will. And I hope that they will even bring this to the big screen. Um, but that's probably the least likely thing to happen. Rogue Squad, um, Rogue One, was almost by accident that it, that it is what it is and that it became what it became. 
But ever since Rogue Squadron, they've been playing it super safe. Too safe, I think, for a lot of Star Wars fans. Um, and now with Iger back at the helm, it can go both ways. Iger is there, as I explained in one of my previous shows, to fix the situation, to turn Disney Plus back into a money-making machine instead of <laughs> this, this big loss for, for Disney. So he's going to cut corners. He's going to cut costs as much as possible. So that would make it more likely that that, that Star Wars is just going to play it safe. Uh, we're going to get more of the same. But at the same time, Iger, Bob Iger, is also very much in favor of letting the creative people do their thing without interfering too much. If there's one person who would bless, I think, an experiment... Uh, and going for quality and storytelling quality instead of just quantity and doing and, and fan pandering. If there's one person who can green light that, then it's Bob Iger. So what do you think is going to be next for Star Wars? Let me know in the comments. Love to hear your opinion. <laughs> Catholics rock! It's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch, and this is the place where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you are afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about uh, a topic that I saw mentioned in um, the Discord server of our patrons, and it's about faith and reason. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So, as you know, um, I've got people listening from all sorts of backgrounds. So, we've got cradle Catholics, new Catholics, Protestants, uh, Mormons, people from from other faiths, or, or people that have no religion whatsoever. And I always strive to strike a tone that that is welcoming to everyone. Um, I'm, I'm not just here for my Catholic flock. I, I'm here as a Catholic priest, as you know, but I'm here to share what I'm passionate about. And that is also the DC Universe and Superman and Star Wars, and, and it's also faith. Um, because I feel it, it's important to share these stories. Like, one of the best things about religion... Uh, is 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 storytelling it's these these religions are so good at storytelling and these stories can mean so much to to us and so i i like to share from my perspective what 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 i love in these stories and what inspires me and what helps me to to live my life in a good way um but of course faith is not just about stories it's not just make believe it's not just fairy tales otherwise disney would be uh would be a religion as well. <laughs> Maybe for some people it is, but uh, and Star Wars could could also be a religion. Or a, so, what's the difference? Um, and I think it's all about the claim that almost every religion has that it's more than just fantasy. It's more than just stories and make believe. Every religion has a claim that this is true. This is reality. This is this is. This is reasonable to believe this. And <laughs> that's, at the same time, the conundrum. There's so many different religions, and they all claim that their religion, their 
view of the Bible or even beyond that of their their holy books that that is the truth and all the other religions are wrong. <laughs> Every religion has that claim or that pretension. That's the difference with Disney or the DC Universe or Marvel because everybody, everybody involved in that type of storytelling knows it's just storytelling. We're in the business of fairy tales, basically. Fan it's fantasy. Where we don't pretend that there's actually someone out there who, when he gets angry, turns green and bursts out of his sneakers. It's make-believe. These stories carry a lot of values, and they have a lot of messages that are part of the story, but none of these fictional franchises have the pretension that that they are the truth, <laughs> that you thou shalt believe that the Justice League is real. <laughs> so, um, but how do you reconcile that? And that was the discussion that was going on on, on the Discord server. Um, how do you reconcile that with science, for instance, or reason? Like, a lot of faithful will, will say, well, I, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But how can you prove that? How is that a reasonable thing to believe, that someone who died, who's actually, lots of witnesses saw this guy dying on the cross. There was even a soldier who pierced his heart with a lance and the blood and the water flew, flew uh, came out. So the water, of course, is the, the, the tissue around the heart. If you pierce a lance through a heart, then it's that's the end. That's pretty definitive proof that that guy is dead. And so when Christians talk about the resurrection, and it's not just a make-believe story or we're just thinking back of Jesus as if he was there... No, all these post-resurrection post stories are stories where the emphasis is on the veracity of the resurrection, on the physicality of the resurrection. Jesus says, uh, I'm not a ghost. And if you don't believe me, just give me some fish and I will eat it right here. A ghost does not eat. If you have trouble to believe that I am really resur uh, resurrected, that I'm a, I am the same Jesus as you knew, then... Thomas, come and touch my wounds and, and, and touch me and you will realize it's truly me. And the reaction of all these apostles that are, at, at, in the beginning, they're all uh, unbelievers after the resurrection. When they hear the first stories of the women that have been to the tomb, there's like, yeah, some of these women are talking about Jesus being alive. Uh, they shouldn't be drinking that early in the morning. That is literally in the Bible. <laughs> they probably were drunk. But they were not. And it took them a, a while to come to terms with the, this totally impossible uh, fact, at least for them, fact, that Jesus was alive again. But we, we live now 2,000 years later. Can you really believe that that is true i mean i guess most of us would would agree it's a fantastic story it's beautiful i mean but isn't it just made up isn't this just wishful thinking the gospel accounts and the witnesses that have written this down or handed it over first orally and then later on it was written down they all seem to insist no this was not just make-believe this was just not a, an a, like a, a an imaginary story 
to wrap things up and make sure that it gets a happy ending. No, all these witnesses have actually met Jesus, have touched him, eaten with him, heard his voice. It was really him. And it's this physicality of the resurrection that was one of the pivotal uh, elements of their preaching. St. Paul says it multiple times. If the resurrection was fake, if it was just made up, then everything about Christianity is worthless. If there is no resurrection possible, then we're all doomed to die and to disappear forever. So what good is believing in the gospel if, if that's the truth? No, it's because of the reality of the resurrection that we preach. And this is what's kept Christianity alive for thousands of years. So um, I think we can all agree that you can look at Christianity and at the Bible as a collection of amazing stories. And stories with, just like any other good story, has a message. It inspires me. It can, but then making the leap to believing that it's actually true, especially when there's so much... There are so many other religions who say the same. And, and we tend to become a very, very careful when we hear from different sides, well, no, you have to believe me. No, we have to believe you. You have to believe us. They are wrong. No, they are wrong. Well, you know what? What if they're all wrong? That's actually the most comfortable position to take as an intellectual. You're like, eh, it's probably you know, all these religions have similar elements. And so eh, it's probably just something that our brain does, right? It's just our prefrontal cortex that uh, makes up these stories. We're very good at connecting the dots and then uh, whatever we can't connect, we'll just make it up ourselves. But here's what I think. Um, no one can truly rationally prove that God is there and that what's written in the Gospels truly happened and is true and you should believe it. I'm also not a proponent of taking everything literally in the Bible. And you know that. I'm a Catholic, so I don't do just the literal thing um, where God actually took seven days to create our our world and uh and, and it's just seven days and then no a lot of the, all these different books in the bible have been written in different times by different people and there's a lot of the cultural sensitivities that 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 resonate in these stories but but i do believe and historians will also affirm confirm that that there is a lot of historical solidity to these stories there's always like a like um a foundation on which these stories are built. It's not that one day just someone sits down and, let me make up a new superhero for this new Christian faith that I hope is going to be a big box office success. You know what? Let me think. Uh, Iron Man? Nah, that sounds weird. Hulk? That's a bit, that's weird. You know what? Jesus, that is, that's a cool name. Let's, let's do this Jesus guy and origin story, bitten by a spider. No, no, no. Let's see. He, he worked in a, as a carpenter. That's a, good, that's a good origin story. And then we'll just uh, we'll introduce a couple of superhero stuff like multiplication of the bread and then some miracles. And then, you know what? What's going to be the ultimate battle? Of course, it's the battle with death. And he's going to vanquish death. And then the, the last... The last story, the last big box office success is going to be him raising from the dead. That's not the way these stories were written. These stories stem from 
a, a, an encounter with an historical figure and and historians are all in agreement that Jesus was a real person. And even a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, where it's much older than, than of course, the accounts of the gospel, um, a lot of the historical uh, events are are there and are undisputed by historians. It's just the way that we're written down um, is in story form. And so it's not always a literal account of what happened, but it is an interpretation of history. But it doesn't mean that it's completely fictional. So that, that's the first thing I would like to say. Um, there are good reasons to believe that, that the Bible, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament, that these stories are, in fact, founded on historical events. But they are stories. So there's more subtext, there's more meaning that is added, more interpretation, more, you could say, divine inspiration that is added to the, the, the way in which we hear these stories. Um, but it's like the interpretation of a, a good composer, well, a good uh, director of an orchestra. He will take the original score by the composer and will add new layers to that music. Um, that's kind of how I look at, at Bible stories and also at the traditional interpretation of these Bible stories. But what about reason? Is it, is it, is it reasonable to believe? I would say maybe not if you consider reason to be just something that um, uh, the empirical sciences can claim, like uh, a mathematician can prove that one plus one is two. Uh, a physician, a chemist, uh, they can they can measure, they can do experiments, they can repeat it, and then the more you, you you have the same result, the more likely it is that that yeah, that's actually what's happening, and this is how it works. Um, but I do believe it's reasonable to believe in the sense that if you, for instance, I believe literally in the resurrection of Jesus. I don't think it's just a fairy tale. And I agree with St. Paul. If it were a fairy tale, yeah, it's a good story, but then, you know, what's the point? <laughs> then then the, the, I, I might as well just believe in the Jedi world because I like that story a lot better because of the spaceships and the laser swords and stuff. <laughs> but that's not why I'm a Christian. It's because I believe that the resurrection is a real thing. I also believe that in the Eucharist, when I celebrate Mass, the bread and the wine do change, really change, in the body and blood of Christ. How? I don't know. But I believe it's a reality. It's not just something that we all pretend to believe. I also believe that there is truth, and there are traces in truth in all religions. Um, that doesn't mean that they're all equal, that they're all equally true, and it really matters what you believe. If you don't believe that, and look at how, for instance, Putin is using faith as a justification for the horrible war that he's faring. It does matter how you interpret the scriptures, what you believe. And so not every religion is equal. They do deserve equal respect. But I think the pursuit of truth requires us to keep in dialogue with one another and to also ask the difficult questions. What are the reasons that you believe? And this is why... For me, belief has everything to do with reason. Even though God himself is, because God is metaphysical, 
He is not part of this physical created universe because he is the creator. I cannot demonstrate him. But I can reason on the basis of, of the revelation and the things that I read about in the Bible, the things that the church teaches me. A lot of that makes sense and is reasonable. And it, it points me to a mystery that in itself cannot I, can, I don't have grip on. But it doesn't mean that it's unreasonable or I'm just like shutting down my brain when I go to church. So that's how I've always been approaching uh, this, this dialogue between faith and reason because that's what it is. It's a dialogue. We are allowed to ask difficult questions. We're not supposed to turn off our brain on Sunday when we go to church. You can be both a scientist and a believer. And you can ask faith questions from your scientific background. You can ask questions about the tradition, about certain things that the church has said and maintained over centuries. Some of it pertains to dogma and is unmutable. Other stuff is, is, is colored by the culture and the time in which those ideas emerged and, and, and some things can change. But it can only change and we can only discover the truth if we keep asking rational questions. If we use our brain to ask questions about, so why this faith and not that faith? <laughs> and why this element? What, what can we learn from one another? As a Catholic, I don't, I don't have any trouble with all these different religions that all claim, have their claim to truth because they do contain elements of truth because every religion, I think, is inspired by this, this almost genetic sense that there must be more than just a physical world and that there has to be a creator there has to be a deity a god and and so but as a christian and as a catholic i believe that actually that god came to meet us and became man that's what we celebrate at christmas that god instead of staying <laughs> kind of far away from all of us and we just had to come up with all sorts of complicated theology to make make it more reasonable that we believe. In fact, God became one of us, a baby child that you could cradle and take care of and that later on would take care of the people around him. And and it's someone who said, you want to know who God is? Look at me. Touch me. I'm really here with you. And I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. For me, that the reason why I believe is a person. It's Jesus, and he gives me enough reason to continue to believe. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, so the last two books that I read, or actually the last, let's talk about the last three books that I read. The first one uh, I read um, last week is... Um, um, it's a Dutch book written by uh, a police officer, a female police officer who works in Amsterdam, which is one of the cities in the Netherlands that where a lot of stuff happens all the time and which resembles most like international, other big international cities. And so she describes her day-to-day -day work. Um, and it's a hilarious book. It's sometimes difficult to read because, of course, as a police officer, she's not always welcome where she uh, uh, appears. Um, and it's just this lovely slice-of-life book about um, what it means to be a police officer. And I have a great, I've got great respect for what she does and for her colleagues. Um, 
the title in Dutch is It Kan Ook Nooit Normaal, which is translated in English as uh, uh, Why Can't It Ever Be Normal? <laughs> why Can Things Never Be Normal? Which is kind of what she experiences on a day-to-day basis in Amsterdam. second book that I read is written by Israel van Dorsten, who is a name you probably have never heard of if you're not Dutch. But if you live in the Netherlands, it may ring a bell, especially if you uh, hear the title of the book, which is Wij waren, ik ben weg uit Ruinerwold, in English. We were, I am, escaping Ruinerwold. This was a huge story, um, I think two years ago, uh, where out of nowhere, this young man is discovered walking around in a tiny village in the north of the country, telling people that he has escaped a farm where he and his brothers and sisters have been locked up for their entire life. Nobody knew that they existed. Their father is a self-proclaimed religious guru who sent his three older kids to school and then started to realize that, well, if he is the redeemer... And he 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 proclaimed himself to be like the the much better than Jesus. Actually, he uh, he at one point started to believe that Jesus was a fraud, and uh, and and then he was the the redeemer. Then well, if he's the redeemer, then why send your kids to school? And so the he got a number of other kids, and he didn't even tell the world that they existed, and he kept them locked up at his farm with his wife. And he taught them himself. Um, and this book tells the story of one of these kids who when he, I think he was like 20, when he for the first time in his life jumped over the fence and sought help and went to contact the police. And in this book, he describes his life. He, the, beliefs, the, the first half of the book is he describes the faith of his father and how his father had created this entire religious fanatic world in which he was the center of the of the universe um in which he he forced his wife to channel spirits for him and so their mother i think was also psychologically so much influenced and brainwashed and maybe also psychologically ill that she she suffered of multiple personality syndrome. And some of the kids also, because they too were at one point instituted as as mediums for that spiritual world that his father created, they too start start to suffer from multiple personality disorder. Which, of course, if if you're a kid and you see all of a sudden your mother like starting to behave like someone completely different, speaking with a different voice... Um, which is all part of the of the syndrome, um, and I don't think that's the official term anymore. But it's like uh, I I forgot how they call it nowadays. But um, anyway, these kids for for most of their life actually because they didn't have any comparison, they 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 didn't have any knowledge of the outside world except for the books that they were allowed to read. They just took it for granted, and so they even never thought of escaping. And so, uh, and the the second half of the book is about how he actually 
bit by bit started to discover that there was a whole world outside of the farm. And he got, by accident, connected to the internet. Started to read Wikipedia at night without his father knowing and learning. And then more and more he started to use, his, this is also about reason and faith, he started to reason and to think and it didn't make sense. What he was reading about, about science, about, about uh, the outside world, did, did not at all match the, this illogical religious world of his father. And so through rational thinking and critical thinking, he started to realize that the world in which he lived was wrong. But it took him years and years to finally dare to escape. And then, of course, the rest of the family was freed. And, and, and the book ends uh, in a, on a very sad tone because the three youngest kids um, continued to take care of their father. Their father got a, uh, a stroke even before the kids were liberated. And so he has aphasia. And the judge um, ruled that he was unable to be judged. So he was freed because he couldn't defend himself. And, uh, and then the three younger kids continued to take care of him. Isn't that the saddest thing ever? He still has a hold on these three younger kids. The older kids all kind of went through their awakening and every child reacted in a different way and you would think that all these kids were super messed up but i was so amazed and also actually in awe of how israel writes down this story and how um how much he has thought about what happened and how mild he is in his own uh, about his parents and and about what happened and how how normal he actually turned out to be. It's, it's, it's a fascinating story, very hard to read at times, because a lot, of the, a lot of the sectarian traits are not just the domain of religious uh, disturbed people like, like his father. Uh, they, he, at one point he was describing some of the mechanisms and some of the tricks that his father would use to keep them in, in check, and I was like, oh my gosh, I know plenty of priests that act like this. I know bishops that act like this and talk like this. That's, that's the, that's, that was the hard part of the book, to realize that a lot of that, um, a lot of, I, I would say, has, has nothing to do with, with religion. But it's this, these power, these, these, uh, these tricks that the people in power use to, to stay in power and to manipulate people those are actually much more common in the world in which I live than you would think. So also in that respect, like uh, when people tell you that you can't ask questions, when people tell you that if you want to be a believer, you have to check out your brain at the entrance, <laughs> you know? You're, you're supposed to just believe what our faith dictates and, and no critical thinking is allowed. That should be red alert for everyone. That means you're not dealing with someone who is truly seeking the truth. Um, this is this is the big lesson of that book. Anyway, and to to um, kind of lighten things up, I, I read something completely different. It's a, a book uh, by uh, Kelly Barnhill, um, and it was recommended to me by one of my patrons in the, the book section in the uh, on the Discord server. It's called "The Girl Who Drank the Moon." It's a fairy tale 
a long fairy tale. It's an entire book um, about a, a, a young girl who is found in the woods by a witch. Turns out she's part of a society that uh, brings uh, offerings to the witch in the woods. So newborn children are brought to the woods and then they are abandoned. Turns out that society, actually, the, the people in, in, in power don't believe that there's a witch. But they use that a bit akin to what in the Hunger Games is also the trick of, uh, of the president. Um, they use this imaginary belief in a witch to keep people obedient. It's the fear of the witch that keeps people in line. Um, but it turns out there is actually, there is a witch, but it's a good witch. And she takes care of these children. She hears them crying in the woods and then she brings them to other towns and makes sure that they grow up and are safe. But then there's this one girl who by accident, she, she feeds the light of the moon and that turns that little baby into a very powerful magic child. Way too powerful to be safe in, in the human world. And so the witch raises this child by herself. But she doesn't want the child to know that she has these magical powers. That's, that's a gist. There are dragons in this story. Um, it's it's a, a classic fairy tale. There are lots of metaphors in this story, lots of lessons to be learned. And that's also the flaw of this book. It is clearly geared towards a younger audience. I think you could even read this to children. And it's not, it's not bad at all. Um, but it's, it's very predictable. Like halfway through the book, I was like, I know exactly where this is going. And then some of the lessons, some of the metaphors were a bit ham-fisted, a bit too much. Um, so it, it, I love the beginning of the book and, and the whole setup of the story. I just felt that the the final execution and, and especially the lack of, of progress in the story. There's no real development. There's a lot of potential, but it just ends in, in, in tropes, actually. Um, that was a bit disappointing, but that yeah, was still an enjoyable read. So there you go. The Girl Who Drank the Moon. I am learning a lot of new recipes and you will never guess where I learned these recipes. Who teaches me how to cook? It's a rat. And it is the rat from Ratatouille. Uh, the Pixar movie, now owned by Disney, of course. Uh, or was it a Disney movie? No, I think it was a, D a Pixar movie. Um, and this rat is teaching me how to cook inside a video game. If you've listened to uh, The Walk which is my other podcast. Uh, just look for The Walk with Father Roderick. Um, I talk about Dreamlight Valley, which is a, a, a video game uh, pretty similar to um, Animal Crossing, uh, Nintendo's Animal Crossing, uh, where you walk around in this magical kingdom, and the problem is everybody, all the, all the characters, all the Disney characters that you encounter have memory loss. Turns out there was some kind of bad magical spell, and so you have to help them find their memories. One of these characters in Dreamlight Valley is the rat from Ratatouille, and he has a kitchen. And once you help him build his kitchen and open his restaurant again, um, he he lets you cook in his kitchen. And um, every all the characters 
come to eat there and you have to cook for them. It's one of the many, many things you can do in Dreamlight Valley. It's all very grindy and it's, it's not very challenging, but that's kind of what I like to play because it doesn't... I can actually check out my brain when I play video games <laughs> and I can just like go into the zone. And so, but the, th the funny thing is, so you have all these recipes. You have to figure out, you find ingredients, you have to grow your ingredients um, and then you have to combine them to cook. The thing is, the recipes that you cook are actually based on those ingredients. And so I'm cooking stuff that I've never actually prepared myself. And so I'm looking up, so what is the real life equivalent of this recipe? Because of course in the game, you only need like three or four ingredients. Um, and in some cases, well, if you want to prepare the real recipe, you need a little bit more than that. Except for, of course, the Italian cuisine. Because as you know, good Italian food only has a few ingredients. And so the other day, in Dreamlight Valley, I was cooking a pasta arrabbiata. And it only had three ingredients. Chili pepper, tomato, and wheat. Wheat, of course, for the pasta. Tomato uh, for the sauce. And then chili pepper. Well, you know what? You don't need much more. Maybe a little bit of olive oil and, of course, salt and pepper. Um some pecorino cheese if you want to, but it doesn't take much to create a nice pasta arrabbiata. And so um, in the show notes, I will uh, include a link to, uh, to a YouTube video, which is really great um, because if you just Google pasta arrabbiata, arrabbiata means uh, angry pasta, and it's called that way because you put the chili flakes in it. Um, and so it's, it's pretty spicy, and that's one of the reasons I like to, uh, to make it. Um, but if you just Google the recipe, you will come across a ton of non-Italian recipes or variants where they just add so much stuff that most Italians would start to projectile vomit, probably. <laughs> that's, the, that's the issue with the internet. There are so many American cooking programs and cooking websites, and they add cream and capers and all this extra stuff and loads and loads of cheese Whereas the Italian cuisine is usually super simple. A few good quality ingredients is all you need. So the video I will link to in the show notes brings you to a real Italian guy who is doing these. I, I love his cooking videos. And he shows you the authentic recipe. Follow that and let me know how you like it. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device, and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. So I am uh, 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 very much enjoying my video games. But, as you know, I also love to play games with real people in real life. And so that's every once in a while I, I get together with a couple of friends and we play board games. Actually, the parochial vicar, Eric Rosemann, who is now uh, also a priest, um, he introduced me to a couple of friends of his and we play board games and uh, Veronique uh, and her husband, who are also patrons, uh, they sometimes invite us to play board games with them and it's, it's so much fun. I love these evenings where you're just sitting around a table and you play you play board games. And I love the storytelling board games. 
where where there's a story and you you're on a quest together with the rest um and so uh those kind of communal games where you play against the the rules of the game or the the story of the game you try to find the solution or whatever um that is um the the genre that i like the most that is derived from maybe the you could say the 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 how do you say that the the dinosaur version of these games is dungeons and dragons and if you've seen stranger things that is a huge aspect of the, of the story uh, these kids are playing dungeons and dragons which you can just play with a couple of dice a pen and paper and that's all you need and, and most of the story is told by the dungeon master who is introducing you into a fiction fictional world and you are part of a group of explorers and adventurers who go down into those dungeons and try to find the treasure and defeat the the creatures the monsters in those dungeons and you need the dice to determine the outcome of the battles that you wage um, there is much more to the game of course because everyone can build his or her own fictional character um, and so these characters have their own traits and specialties and some of them are hunters uh, and have a bow and arrow others are mages wizards um, and so the idea is you, you create your own character and then you come together under the tutelage of a of a dungeon master who will then lead you through the game it doesn't always have to be about dungeons it can be any fictional world because it's the theater of the mind you don't even need a board game you don't have to buy anything for it it's just this it's 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 all imaginary and it's it's all about the story well why am i talking about this here in the technology uh section it is because yesterday i'm recording this on sunday on saturday i had my very first ever dungeons and dragons session um and steve was guiding us through he's a very experienced lifelong dungeon master and he's also a patron he's also part of our community longtime listener to the podcast and he um he had been looking forward to doing this for months we've been talking about this almost a year ago for the first time and so there is a small there is a uh uh a section in on the discord server uh, for the patrons that also like to learn how to play dungeons and dragons some of them have played it in the past the thing is it's very hard to find people in your physical neighborhood who play dungeons and dragons but because it's all imaginary you can play this online you just need a chat room right and and this is where the technology uh, enters the story steve told us about this app or this service that you can uh use to keep track of all, everything that happens so it allows you to to have a like a cloud version of your character if you roll the dice you don't need to have physical dice you just click a button and actually 3d dice will roll over your screen um that sort of stuff it is really cool um and i'm uh i'm, I'm looking it up right now so what I loved, why doesn't this have like a title page? Because I want to tell you. So the service is called D&D Beyond. Um, and it, it's both an available as an app, also as a website. Um, it's free. You can use it. And it's, it's fully functional. You don't have to. It's not limited because it's free. 
they make their money because they sell these digital guys. So it's also a publisher. Um, and, and if your entire Dungeons and Dragons uh, system is is in their cloud, of course you you use their service and so they can advertise to you. That's how they make their money. But it's a, it's a really cool um, and, and for me indispensable tool to play Dungeons and Dragons. So I will dispense with the technicalities. But um, we were hoping to play this with a slightly larger group, but but some of uh, our D and D group had to. Uh, um, uh, had to bail out at the very last moment because of personal circumstances. Um, so, but we ended up uh, playing this uh, with uh, with uh, John, John Damek, and Inge, Inge Lotz, and me, and Steve. And he did. We did a one day campaign, so a one. It's called a one shot. And Steve had, had written the entire story himself, and it was awesome. So. We, we we are there's a little bit of backstory that you get and so I was a hunter and I had some some I was in in, in trouble with the local baron uh, because um, anyway I was kind of a Robin Hood type of guy and uh, um, so they were after me and then there was a different backstory for the other two we get together in an inn in a, in a tavern and there's this this female gnome, that, that tells us that she needs us, that she actually uh, has uh, called us there because in her on the island where she has lived, there is this problem with um, uh, kind of snake-like people, like reptilian people, and they are peddling drugs, basically. It's some kind of like fantasy version of, uh, of crystal meth or <laughs> whatever, and it's, it's making a lot of victims... And these um, these these mafia reptilians um, are, are super dangerous, and they can't defeat them without our help. So we have to take a boat. We go to that island to solve the case. I kid you not. We we uh, we have been playing for I think four or five hours, and and it was just using uh, what was it Google Meets. Um, so we had these one hour Google Meets if you use it for free you have uh, one hour per session and that was actually very good because after one hour we would take a break and then a few minutes later we'd come back but I feel like I've been on that island on that boat in that tavern fighting these 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 certain people for four or five hours and, and it's just the theater of the mind. I felt like I am in a world that it feels very similar to Wheel of Time or or Lord of the Rings. And I have to say, Steve is a, is a fantastic storyteller, um, which is really makes a difference. If someone he does the voices, and of course anything can happen. The battles are kind of where the rules come into play, but the rest of the story, the dungeon master can just create a world and and if we choose to do stuff that the dungeon master has not predicted that we would do or goes off course then he has to come up with with a storyline that, that that actually uh, accompanies the protagonists of the story and it was just amazing i couldn't believe that he that he made that up all by himself it was just an awesome experience i hope that soon we will be able to play the next session with the entire group and I can already tell you, I'm I'm hooked for life. I want to do this 
more than just once a year. So if any one of you uh, is interested in Dungeons and Dragons, or maybe already is playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, this may be an additional reason for you to join the the Discord server uh, by becoming a patron, because um, I I really hope that we can um, continue to build a thriving D and D community within our Patreon community. It was a ton of fun. And Steve, thank you so much for all the work and all the time that you put in into bringing us this experience. It was amazing. And with that, we've come to the end of the show, the last one before Christmas. I'm going to take a, a break after Christmas, by the way. I'm pre-recording a few episodes, so uh, I don't leave you completely uh, without new content. But I'm going to take a few weeks off um, it's been a very busy, uh, intense year for me on multiple levels. Um, and I was talking with the board the other day, and they told me, you know, why, why don't you just take a break? Your show is called The Break. You never take a break. And, you know, the people people will be there when you're back. Uh, but, but it's good for the quality of the work that you do to sometimes just not work. I haven't ever taken a winter break, as far as I remember. Um, so I'm, I'm planning on doing that and a lot of podcasters and YouTubers actually do the same. So I'll be, uh, I'll be offline for a couple of weeks. Um, so still do, um, the shows until the end of the year. And then, um, just going to be, uh, on a, on a short winter break. And of course, uh, I probably won't, won't be able to stop myself from sharing some of that on social media, uh, as well, but, uh, that will all be bonus stuff. So, um, have a very good final preparation for Christmas. And uh, we'll talk soon for the Christmas episode of The Break. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the privilege of your time. God bless. <laughs>